This project was produced by Planet FM with support from New Zealand On Air. The series features 15 candid conversations with people from migrant and former refugee backgrounds, sharing their stories, their lived experience, their own perspectives and covering some sensitive topics. from the comfort of our homes. This is episode seven. This episode, I chat to Andrew Tui. We dive into Andrew Simon Chinese heritage. It's awesome having you here with us, Andrew. No worries. Thank you for the invitation. You know, I'm super excited and a bit nervous as well. I think it's always funny when it's flipped to the other side and now it's about sharing my insights. But at the same time, I love the kaupapa and what you're aspiring to do. So, yeah, super excited. Yay, I'm excited. Let's dive into this, shall we? So we're going to have like three kind of main segments of the um, podcast. And when we talk about identity, when we talk about ethnicity and culture, it's just talking about our personal journeys. You know, I, hi, <laughs> I'm Andrew John Tui, and uh, so I identify as someone Chinese in terms of my ethnicity, uh, and I was born and raised in Tamaki Makoto in South Auckland, so that's a big part of, uh, I guess, nationality and ethnicity. And my family comes from the villages of Fasito uh, Uta and also Afinga in Samoa. And I've also got an- uh, ancestry in China, of course. In terms of my dad's family, so his uh, granddad or my great-grandfather, so he grew up in Samoa with his brothers. And then when it was the First World War, he fought alongside the Māori Battalion to represent uh, New Zealand and you know, and uh, thankfully survived. <laughs> and through that, he was able to get passage to New Zealand. This was in the 1940s. So they were part of this big first wave of Pacific Islanders coming into New Zealand. My mum, she grew up in Samoa. So she grew up with a very strong Chinese and Samoan values on a plantation. And she had many, many adopted brothers and sisters, many of whom who I thought were her blood siblings, but later realized that they weren't. It's such an island thing. (laughs) I feel incredibly proud of those roots for mum and dad. And uh, I guess for them, you know, it was hard because, you know, uh, back then it was a struggle to uh, raise your family and so forth and putting a lot of focus on wanting to support their family. They invest a lot of their time working. So by the time my two sisters and I were born, uh, mum and dad uh, were working night jobs, day jobs, factories, cleaning. Mum used to clean at night and come home late and I always remember that. I should bring home like a tub of um, cream rice and it was such a treat. So I guess for me... A big part of my values is service. So mum and dad grew, taught us to work really, really hard, uh, work ethic, because you provide for your family. So for me, it was so common to see mum and dad doing stuff to provide for us, but also provide for our wider family. So with Nana and dad and all of his siblings. Culturally, even though I didn't grow up 
speaking the language, uh, which I guess played on my mind many years later, I did go up knowing the strong Samoan values, especially around respect of your elders, uh, a lot of food. <laughs> and then get-togethers, all the kids would be lining up doing the dishes. And now I think, gosh, I wish kids would do that now. So it was all about service and respect. And I think it was also around uh, dance and music. So watching my nana get up and do a siva dance and you know, everyone clapping and getting up. So it's almost like those are the things that reminded us of where we came from and who we are. Um, as a side note, in terms of my Chinese heritage, I don't know as much uh, because my, I guess my grandparents identify more with the Samoan values. Um, but I'm slowly learning more about that side. So many of the Samoan Chinese people came from the Canton regions in China. So there is a nice history there. So my mum is an RU. Quite interesting, that name, because it's like a Chinese in origin, but then it morphed. So people in Samoa and other places could pronounce it. So, <laughs> so that's been interesting too. So yeah, so I think, again, grew up with service, grew up in the Catholic Church as well. So that's quite a big part of, uh, for many Pacific Island families. But I think I quickly realized that I felt a bit different. Yeah, and and I think what I mean by that is that on the surface, uh, I, my ethnicity could be many different things, <laughs> just from what people say. I went through a period where I knew my Pacific Island side very well, you know, growing up in the community that was very strong. I go to a primary school that had a lot of Pacific Island kids. Uh, and then I go to high school, and then all of a sudden people say, are you Chinese? Are you Argentinian? <laughs> are you Chilean? <laughs> uh, are you Filipino? And it was really confusing because uh, all of a sudden I'm like, well, actually, who am I? And, and then some people say, but your English is so good. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> so uh, I must admit that as I got older, it was really starting to get really confusing culturally and also not seeing as many uh, Pacific Island kids in my high school. So I went to St. Peter's, a Catholic school in Central City. I also started to feel embarrassed as well. So, for example, not being able to speak someone uh, was felt quite shameful. But, of course, as an old adult now, I can understand more of that. So sometimes I felt embarrassed to tell people about where I grew up, South Auckland. Again, connotations. I think back in the 80s and 90s, uh, South Auckland was painted as being a really not so great place. Um, so I felt shame around that. And it's so funny because from the time we went to uni, it's like, oh man, give me psychology, give me sociology. <laughs> so I think part of it was subconsciously I was wanting to know more about myself. You talked about service and how service values shaped you a lot and what your work ethic was and your life was. What? Um, how do you think that alongside the cultural questioning shaped in like what kind of path you chose in life and kind of person you have become later in adulthood? Oh gosh. So I think that with the service, I, so I kind of always knew that you work to help others or you do things to help others. So my mum did a lot of that working at the RSA where she would always bring, she even created events for people to come together in the community, even if they weren't someone. So I kind of knew that I wanted to do something where I would help. Uh, but at the same time, there was also pressure to do something better than what mum and dad did. So I was the first in my family to go to university. I remember dad used to say, be an esthetist, you know, become a doctor. And I was like, dad, I hate blood. I hate science. And then they're like, well, why don't you study business? I was like, okay. And back then, 
I kind of wanted to please my family. So the decision was more, okay, I'm going to study business accounting. So I actually started uni with accounting. Uh, and of course, what happened? I hated it. <laughs> and then I think from there, I realized that, no, I need to trust my gut. I've worked hard. So for one, culturally, I've showed to mum, dad, I'm doing something to better myself. So I ended up pursuing psychology and management and absolutely loved it. I naturally gravitated towards people from a different ethnic backgrounds, the minorities. And I subconsciously made a beeline for those who I felt were probably feeling a bit more marginalized. So it's really interesting that in hindsight, a lot of it did stem from service, but also a yearning to want to help others fit in. There's a line um, through whether it's jobs or places, like just whatever you're doing, there is some thread uh, that kind of leads to some like childhood usually either values or questioning or struggles in terms of like what you do now how would you describe all the things um that you do now i'll keep it concise so essentially so i did my big career shift at 26 27 so i went from working corporate admin to becoming a careers counselor essentially and i think that career path which has spanned 12 plus years uh, i will describe as being a very humanistic, uh, personalized vocation where I help people to develop and thrive. So how I describe that work, it's very much around um, developing people, working one-on-one to help them think about their career goals and needs, thinking about developing talent, uh, thinking about how you can find work, to kind of just knowing more about yourself. So funny how I ended up doing work and it's based on what I was craving. <laughs> what does like your cultural identity mean to you in whatever way that is? And how does it intertwine maybe with other parts of yourself, how you identify yourself? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. So to terms of my cultural identity, I feel a lot more at ease with that. Yes, in the community, there's a little bit of stigma about how Samoan are you or how plastic you are. But I think the part of me is okay with knowing what I'm comfortable with. So in my work, I can express by being someone or working with Pacific Island people in a way that feels satisfying. So if I'm helping with an initiative um, and I feel that it allows me to understand people better from when I can show that this is my experience, my culture, and I'm getting to understand you. In my stage of my life, I'm really comfortable with how I identify with the rainbow community. So as a gay male, uh, yes, I grew up uh, feeling a bit more conservative about it and feeling like, oh my God, how does this work? To, yeah, I'm happily married. Uh, I have a cat. <laughs> but also I express my rainbowness in a way that feels authentic to me. It feels funny saying this, but you kind of feel like you're role modeling in a really positive way, especially for young Pacific youth or any youth who might just feel a bit different or feel that they haven't quite seen uh, people who uh, kind of reflect uh, who they could be, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. When we talk about ethnic identity, it's such a broad, like, migrants, refugees, um, which are, you know, people of colour, like whatever whatever you, there's so many terms to use um, that sometimes feel maybe othering for some, for sometimes it feels like actually it's part of my culture and I feel like I, I can connect with that part. When when you hear the word ethnic person or like ethnic identity in New Zealand context, like what do you think about that? Like what do you think how it's versus maybe like a Kiwi identity? Where What annoys me about the term Kiwi are like, I love being a Kiwi, don't get me wrong, but I always feel like some people still 
place a value on it. And what I mean is that, you know, Kiwi Kiwi is actually perceived as someone who might be the uh, Pakia Kiwi in that value set when we know that's not true. <laughs> so for me, uh, I didn't grow up, of course, with Pakia values, but for me, the Kiwi part is more around uh, how we interact with each other in New Zealand life, our shared collective attitudes and hobbies rather than uh, people saying, oh, you're doing that like a white person, that's Kiwi. Uh, I think we need to shift it away from that and that Kiwi is actually more than that. The word Kiwi itself has an interesting connotation around it because I got my New Zealand citizenship recently, like a few months ago, and when I received the certificate in the mail, I, cri- I cried. And, you know, it's like a, it's 11 years of being in you know New Zealand, like getting that passport felt like a, <laughs> that is- felt like a bit of a, yeah, yeah, like a little bit of an achievement, I guess. But um also, at the same time, it felt a bit odd because even I was saying, I'm like, oh, I'm finally Kiwi. And then I'm like, huh, like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Because people use the word Kiwi usually, and, and not, not, not always, of course, but like I've seen it being used in a very like Western context. Yeah, I, I agree because, uh, again, it's the stereotypes and connotations of the, I guess, the more old school Kiwi of, okay, to be Kiwi means to be go to that barbecue and have your alcoholic drinks and all that and to uh, talk about sports and to, you know, uh, <laughs> not share your feelings and all that. Whereas, actually, I don't actually identify with any of that. I mean, I'll be at the barbecue eating, but, you know, I, I don't drink and I don't all do all that other stuff. However... I know the other stuff that is cool about being a Kiwi <laughs> and I wish they would talk about that more. And that's just having really cool camaraderie, uh, having the ease of just being curious about people and having amazing diverse food at those barbecues. <laughs> yes. Yes. What do you think, Andrea? I was actually was really curious to hear from you. Um, something that we talk a lot about in with you bordering, like being, you know, the Pacific side and Chinese side, like how how do we feel about being here as not maybe like the white New Zealanders, but what's our relationship like with Pacific communities? What's our relationship like with uh, Tengata Whenua, with Māori? Do you have any, like anything that comes up for you when I talk about that? Like any, you know, um, for me personally, I really honour the treaty and I'm so glad I took New Zealand history at school. <laughs> about bloody time it's compulsory in schools now what's going to be because uh, all of a sudden my perspective changed uh, for a long time I used to feel excluded because I always felt it was the relationship between Māori and Pakia. it's like well what about everyone else <laughs> yeah. but then the, what I learned is that it's relationship between Māori and everyone else and I love that <laughs> it's like oh wow cool actually it is a big relationship and 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 again I think what I'm curious about is what are we doing, organisations doing to better respect the treaty or Māori uh, first as approach? What have you maybe seen or or maybe haven't seen and want to see more of like that connection of migrant communities with Māori first approach or with Titiriti? Yeah, it, it's so interesting when we look back and I think definitely years ago there were few attempts to really link, you know, the opportunities for different groups to better understand each other. Uh, I do feel that there have been improvements, uh, especially from a council level in terms of the range of uh, diverse groups we 
uh, include, but also in terms of events and so forth. But uh, hand on heart, I honestly believe that it comes down to leadership. And I honestly believe that until we get a diverse range of leaders uh, at that level that are really influential, that's more we'll see more effective change uh i've always felt that and i think it stems from when i was at uni not really seeing role models going to the workplace i worked in new zealand i think i could count maybe a few pacific island people in management so i feel like when you've got people of stature from your community representing that's when we'll see the moves gains that we need you know uh, just one example what i'm liking with our current government is that you know in the Labour Party, they do actually have quite a strong mix of people with different ethnic backgrounds. Um, so I am heartened by moves like that. And I think that all of the parties should be thinking about that, being intentional. If you're coming from a really cool ethnic background and you don't see yourself and as a careers person, think about it. <laughs> because um, I've had a lot of feedback from people where they feel disconnect. So I'll talk more broadly, even with Pacifica people, they tend to generalized way um uh don't really access some of these services uh especially if the if they experience it with someone who might come across as quite cold or you know very western way of doing things so i think there's something to be said about having culturally responsive services yeah so when we think about system change and we think about racism actually like right let's put it out there and the yeah cultural um division and whatnot maybe your personal work experiences and stuff any organizations come to mind or approaches or programs or anything comes to mind that you're like oh they 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 did well or doing well or trying to do well in this space you know again i think in terms of representation when you've got uh you know mps like chloe swarbrick uh as well and then we've got uh, even some like the young uh MPs coming through, like Nazi Chen from Botany Down, who represents Botany and all of that. You know, these are young, dynamic people, smart people. What's lovely is seeing that people of different different backgrounds with the credentials and the talent, uh, you know, and when they write their comms, it's very inclusive of the language and they're meeting people with different backgrounds. So I like it when they can uh, affect change at that level. Uh, I also admire people like Ephesus Collins. So he's uh, on the Auckland uh, Council, representing South. Uh, and I do hear he's thinking of standing for a mayor <laughs> coming up. And he's very open and honest about ideas about race and what needs to be proved. And I, what I like about people like that, even though some might think he's being too outspoken, is that he is very professionally saying, these are the issues. Okay, He's not creating uh, nasty rhetoric like uh, a Trump or what have you. It's actually, no. These are the issues, and this is how we move our diversity forward. Uh, but I also love places like Mental Health Foundation, who are using a lot more of Maori um, frameworks, Pacific frameworks, uh, resources in different languages, so they're intentional. So that's great. What I'm excited about, and I'm sorry if I'm going off on a tangent, I am really excited about the Gen Zs and those coming through who will get into these leadership positions and let's let them have fun with them. Because <laughs> I think it, they will look very different to what we've seen. Yeah, I love that. What do you think, Andrew, like if we, if we thought about from the perspective of like organizations, institutions that maybe you're working with when it comes to students being, you know, like students progressing from university to go to work for something, what would you um, want to see 
them do more. It's taking the attitude and philosophy that people first, therefore, how can we better support people? So I think that when there's been more talk around how you can recruit people in a more authentic way or how else can you get uh, uh, assess people in a way that uh, is culturally more relevant, I think it's been open to those types of uh, tools or techniques and processes. And I think even for... Uh, managers who might be developing staff i think there is a big a gap in terms of what are the things that they can build their cultural capital uh but also cultural intelligence because i think that you know again if people can get beyond that initial bias uh they will quickly see that man there's actually a lot of talent out there but also culturally some people don't instantly wave their flag and say hey hire me you know, in Pacific culture, yes, you're typically more humble in your approach or you might not really pour out, you know, an emotive answer. So, again, I think there is an opportunity to do things differently. Uh, so, for example, in recruitment, I know there's talk around using other ways of assessment. So that ranges anything by letting your candidate create their own video or create their own story or paint in a different way. Yeah. Uh, but I think also to do that, you need people in those roles who have got the awareness of uh, of that. And how does one? How does Andrew? How does one build cultural capability? <laughs> oh gosh, million dollar question. I think there's lots of things, and um, you know, I recently interviewed this wonderful woman, Deborah Walton. So she's an American, uh, 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 African American ancestry, beautiful person, and she talked a lot about how it's firstly acknowledging difference uh but then it's starting small so it's as simple as okay so elena and i we're sitting in the canteen with coffee and i'm just gonna ask you a bit more about you you know what do you do and or how do you celebrate things or what's a you know so like that so it's at that level and then of course it's being intentional about other things that can help so in your conversations it might be better guidance around what are better questions you can ask to get to know a person or to find out about their goals? You know, it might be having tools that focus more on values. So with different cultures, values and value sets are inherently important. So actually, have we paid enough attention to honing in on that? You know, I, I know for myself, I'll be more curious about that stuff rather than asking, well, how do you feel about uh, smashing these targets or <laughs> these KPIs? <laughs> I feel like, a lot of leaders now might be aware enough to want to do better and they might know that they need to ask different questions or do interview process differently, but they wouldn't know like, how, like what is actually different means. Is it, would you like seeing companies, is it hiring a consultant? Like how do you, how does one, how does one learn how to do these things better? I think just from my understanding and seeing industry, you know, I think if you've already got existing capability within tap into that person, you know, um, if they've got the capacity, you know, you might have someone who's knows a lot around uh, uh, people development or psychology, so they can give that. Uh, but there are also consultants. There are lots of talented people out there who can help you with your journey. And I think that if your leadership team, hand on heart, wants to do things better, draw upon those people, draw upon people from community, you know, again, what better way to learn about, differences through people who know what those differences are and there's no shame in it i think what i noticed some companies that even with thinking about maori they still feel like it's oh i either do or i don't 
And to me, it's not enough now. <laughs> you know, we all have the ability to access people and information. So to me, it's a, it's a bit of a cop-out of people saying, no, we can't. And, and I think the other quick win is talk to people who uh, might identify with a different ethnicity, whatever, within your company and learn from them, you know. Ask them questions, you know, how would you feel if we did this? <laughs> but how do we resource these people well? If they're if they, if they already, if they have some psychology background, professional development background, great. But if just you're asking them just because they are, you know, oh, hey, Maori community, come, uh, tell us, um, without actually saying, how do we how do we pay you for your emotional labor and time thank you for bringing that up and you're a thousand percent correct i think uh you know there's even been a lot of articles in the media that talk about this very issue and in burnout as well for maori as well um and it's true i think i've worked in organizations where i've seen it and experienced it where it does border on tokenism and and when you're on the receiving end of it, it doesn't feel good because you feel a bit used. Uh, it's like, oh no, you're the person that can do the karakia or it's like, well, you don't want to open it up to everyone else first. So it, um, you make a really good point. And I think that as a skill and capability does need to be valued and compensated. I think it would be like last, one kind of last, last question before we um, go into quick fire. I wanted to ask about that idea of perfectionist or also like successful in ethnic communities, when it comes to trailblazers or when it comes to high expectations, you only get to places when you're a trailblazer. You have to have 15 volunteer experiences, 10 startups, you know, whatever else at the age of 12. Like, what do you, yeah, how do you feel because you work especially with students? Like, is there that notion? And for yourself, did you have that notion of like, I have to have all these things to be a functioning ethnic person? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it, I think it does exist, and uh, and if I talk from the perspective of Pacific, that you know the older mentality was if you get to university, that's actually a big goal, you've made it. But now a lot more of those kids are getting to university, but the stakes are getting higher. It's like all of a sudden, you know, people expecting them to, you know, be the entrepreneur, to be that business person, you know, um, to really blitz it. So I have noticed that there has been increasing expectation on uh, on the young Pacific people, even with professionalism in sport, uh, because uh, Pacific people have done so well in sports like rugby, rugby league, uh, and all of that, uh, a lot more kids are aspiring to do that as a career, and we know that percentage is so small. Uh, I remember uh, a kid when I was a career advisor at school, and he got injured, so he was year 13, got injured, and then I noticed that he was just really quiet. He didn't really want to talk about plans for next year. And he goes, oh, I really, I want to come back to school again next year. I'm like, really? Yeah. And he says that he wants to have another go at play rugby so the talent scouts could see him at school. It's like, man, man, these types of expectations were placed on these kids 10 years ago. So it's created a new interesting kettle of um expectations yeah yeah going to the uh, few cook fire questions that we have yes the first one is just your favorite dish no worries so this is a really common and popular salmon dish uh, sapa sui or salmon chop sui and it's quite nice because it's got the chinese heritage as well so you know with your chop sui it's typically with like your noodly bits and veggies and so forth and meat uh but salmon version or um, I'm biased. I think my mum makes the best. So it looks quite dark when you eat it. So dark brown colour. It's got a lot of soy sauce, a lot of flavour, a lot of ginger, onion, and vermicelli. And you eat it hot or cold on a bit of hot white rice. And it's the best. So to me, it feels like um, 
home and it feels like comfort. <laughs> cool. And where would someone, if you had a, um, if someone wanted to go and try that, apart from your mum's house, is there any place that you would recommend? Oh God, I do believe there are places, especially out south, that do sell it. Uh, but usually just ask an auntie and uncle or a friend at work who can get you some. <laughs> if you could be the main character in a movie or a TV show, what would it be? Or what would it be about, maybe? I would love to be a character in an X-Men movie. The reason why I say that is that the X-Men are founded on trying to help humanity and to help people who feel different. Funny that, so, <laughs> so Professor X, yeah. <laughs> love it the thread the thread continues um if you could propose one policy to new zealand parliament or to like an organization at, at that level what would that be i don't know i, I think it's about more the access and uh, access to resource and stuff like that i would love it if they could uh, make especially education free or <laughs> rent subsidized for people because again the heart of progress is through education awesome and last question andrew what makes you feel empowered or like a badass when do you feel cool i cool. <laughs> i just honestly think i'm the biggest nerd but uh i feel uh cool i guess when um i'm doing stuff where i thrive and enjoy like doing stuff like this today makes me feel really elated uh, i love working on my podcast i love it when i'm volunteering i love it when i'm hanging with friends uh but and i love creativity so i think all that stuff makes a lovely melting pot of that thank you so much andrew it was so cool to have you and to be on the other side of uh you know asking you questions i felt like i was able to share uh, authentic answers with you uh, you know whilst I'm very diplomatic in my approach I think it was nice to be able to speak more openly about some of the things that I guess concern me or bother me uh, and but that it's okay <laughs> yeah if you haven't already check out the 14 other incredible conversations in this series share subscribe send to someone who might benefit from either feeling seen or learning more about ethnic experiences in Aotearoa. These conversations are a collaboration of Belong Aotearoa, Planet FM, Storio, and Sport Waitakere. So you can find the links to those excellent organizations in the bio. Thank you to our funder, Auckland Council Regional Development Fund, and to New Zealand On Air. Mm-hmm.